All right, well, is everybody ready for this next session? No, you got more than that. Is everybody ready for this next yes. session? All right, good, cool. So, oh, what's up, guys? Good to see you. All right, so, um, Gene Apple needs no real massive introduction except the fact that obviously he pastors this amazing place. And uh, so I've been able to follow his ministry from a distance and doing what they've done in Las Vegas and then coming here and uh, making everything happen here that they have. So Gene's wealth of ministry is, is very important for us to understand and know that uh, what he's going to be speaking to today, um, we should all just lean in and grab a hold of him. So I don't know about you, but like our church faces financial situations and struggles and everything like that. So um, with Gene being able to bring a wealth, and no pun intended, of uh, <laughs> a wealth of information to this area. Uh, so I just want to encourage us to lean in, and uh, Gene's going to take this thing. Any questions, we'll be able to answer hopefully at yeah. the end. So can we put our hands together for Gene? Yeah. And, uh, we'll talk to this on the I love it that we're small because we can do a lot of interactive stuff here today, and so uh, we can dialogue and Q and A as we go. And so don't feel uh, don't feel like you got to wait till the end to ask questions, okay? Because we can make those. And just remind me what time we're done. Is it two thirty or two forty five? I think it's two thirty. Two thirty. Okay. Great. So welcome and welcome to Eastside. We're thrilled to have you on our campus this week and honored to host ARC. And, you know, people have been thanking me all, all week. And I was just uh, last night when I watched all the uh, potential church planters go forward to say, you know, we're in. I'm like, that's all the payment I need right there. Man, that is uh, unbelievable to uh, get to see that. And I want to talk about something we all face, you know, is the financial resource challenge. And I especially want to talk about it from the standpoint of once you have a church up and going, how do you grow a culture that helps uh, ongoing meet the needs for the ministry challenges and the vision and the dreams that you have. So I became a senior pastor when I was 25 years old, and I moved to Las Vegas, and I could barely shave, and uh, I went to a church that was an existing church. It had been around for almost 25 years, and uh, I had been there about a week when I faced my first financial resource <coughs> challenge. And I don't know about you, but when I went into ministry, you know, I'm thinking, I'm going to spend my days studying the Bible and praying and discipling people. And I quickly found out that there were people who expected to be paid and uh, electricity bills that needed to be paid and ministry initiatives that needed to be financed. And uh, the week before I got there, the uh, church had just finished a capital campaign. So, now I want you to think about that. They were without a senior pastor. They'd been without a senior pastor for a year. They decided they were going to do a capital campaign to try to raise a million dollars over the next three years, which was going to help them build kind of a multi-purpose building and eliminate some debt. And uh, come on in, we're informal. And so, uh, so I get there. They would finished the capital campaign the week before. They had had a goal to raise commitments of a million dollars over the next three years. And at the end of their big capital campaign, they had raised a grand total in commitments of $93,000. And so I show up as the 25-year-old new pastor, and the board of the church looks at me and says, what do we do? And I said, I'll get back to you. <laughs> and uh, I got on the phone. I actually called a friend of mine who was a pastor of a church here in Anaheim. And uh, I said, Floyd, and he was an older, wiser, been in ministry for decades at the time. And I said, I said, Floyd, here's the situation. I just explained it like I did to you. I said, I don't, the board's looking to me for wisdom. I don't know what to do. What do I do? 
And uh, he gave me some great advice. He said, uh, well, here's what I would do if I were you. He said, first of all, you're brand new at the church. You're their new pastor. So you've got an opportunity right now to cast some vision for them. They're looking to you for leadership. He said, if I were you, I would take another run at a, like another campaign. And you lead it. And you cast your vision. And he said, he goes, it was a pipe dream to think you could raise a million dollars at a time without a senior pastor. He goes, you probably need to lower your goal. And uh, because they weren't using a consultant or anything, they had done it themselves as a church, so they weren't getting any professional expertise. He he goes, I I think you should do that. So I go back to our board and I said, I've got a good idea. I think we ought to take another run at this thing. And I think we ought to cast some vision, and I think we ought to lower our goal, you know, like I'm the big authority. And uh, so we, we lowered our goal, and we set it at $400,000. That was our new goal. And so a few months later, we entered another phase of the campaign. I preached my heart out. I called the sermon series uh, Charting a New Course and uh, picked up some themes from the early chapters of the book of Acts. And uh, then we ended the, the campaign with a banquet at a local hotel. So I'm new in Las Vegas, and this was so weird. We're at a hotel where, like, you walk through all the slot machines, the casino, and everything to get to the banquet room, which was normal for all of them. It was not normal for me uh, as, the, as the new guy there. And uh, we had a banquet that night, and the guy I told you I called here in Anaheim. His name was Floyd. He flew over and spoke for our banquet that night. And uh, I went home that night. It was a Sunday night. At about 11 o'clock, I got a call from the people who were counting the commitment cards for the next three years, and we just crossed the $400,000 mark. And, you know, obviously, I thanked God and celebrated, but I learned something very important that you could bypass in that story. The real difference between the $92,000 campaign and the $400,000 campaign was there was a senior leader willing to lead and cast the vision. And one of the things that I've learned over the years is that the lead pastor or the senior pastor of a church, whether, you know, you go into this thinking, hey, this is all going to be about shepherding and discipling and evangelism, you're also the chief fundraiser in the church. You are. And, and if you're not... Uh, I, I, I'm going to throw this uh, statement up here. Is uh, the senior lead pastor must be the chief resource officer in the church? It's a role that that person can share, but it's not one that they can give up. It's not one that they abdicate. Uh, if any of you are baseball fans, uh, a, a baseball manager or baseball coach will tell his team, "Hey, every one of you are important. Every one of you, every position you play, we need everyone on the team." And then the coach or manager will pull the pitcher aside and say, listen, this thing is about 80% pitching. (laughs) And we need you, and we're counting on you to come through. And so there's that key role that the pitcher plays on a baseball team. There's a key role that a senior pastor plays when it comes to facing the resource challenge of a church. So uh, what I want to do today is share with you just three Three ideas, basically, that have uh, that have kind of created the culture at Eastside for this church to move forward. I, I became the pastor of this church ten years ago, uh, this Sunday. Mm-hmm. Wow. So uh, ten years ago, 
And it, it, that was October 1st of 2008. And if any of you remember what was going on in our economy of October of 2008, it had just done this. And the stock market had just done this. And then it took another big drop the following February. And here in Orange County, where uh, I live, uh, housing, uh, real estate markets tanked to levels nobody had ever remembered. Unemployment levels soared to levels nobody had ever. Uh, even public sector jobs like schools and teachers, big cutbacks in that area. We have a lot of people in the educational arena around here. And the church was just slammed. And yet, uh, you know, especially my first five years at Eastside, I would say, in the midst of the biggest economic challenges this area or I had ever seen in my lifetime, we saw God continuing to grow the resource base of our church, even in the midst of all of that, in rather some uh, dramatic ways. So uh, here's my cliff notes for today. So like, like, you know, here's like the things you just want to, here's the big ideas that I'm going to give you. The first one is you need annual challenging relevant teaching from God's word on the area of financial management. I'm not just talking about generosity or giving, just the whole realm of uh, uh, financial management. I'm going to unpack each of these for you. Uh, I think there's a, um, a great opportunity for churches, and I'm going to explain why, that when you can harness the power of year-end giving. Some of you may not even realize this, but in most churches, 20 to 25% of their annual income comes in in the month of December. And so there's an opportunity there uh, to harness, and I want to talk more about that. And then the third one that uh, is exciting for me to talk to you about is building a volunteer team in your church for those who have the gift of giving. Romans chapter 12 is very clear when it's talking about different spiritual gifts, that there are those within the body of Christ who have a spiritual gift of giving. So how do you tap into those people? How do you find them? How do you inspire them? Uh, with opportunities. So, so like, like if you, you don't have a lot of time and you can't stay for the rest of the session today, you got it right now. Those are the three big ideas, okay? So uh, let's just start with this uh, first one, annual, challenging, uh, relevant teaching from God's Word. And the first thing that I would say to you is every one of those words in that statement uh, is important. First, it needs to be annual. It needs to be in good times and bad times. It mean, needs to be when the economy up and when the economy is down. It needs to be when the church needs money and when the church doesn't need money. It just needs to be put in the annual rhythm of your church. And it's really, uh, it's both a spiritual and a practical issue. It's a spiritual issue from the standpoint of, you know, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And the money monster is real in all of our lives. And I have a bent toward greed just like anybody else who, you know, has a fallen nature to them has a bent toward greed. And we've, it's, it's something that we have to speak into, I think, on a regular basis. We need to do it annually also because there's people in our church at all different places on their spiritual journey. So, for instance, uh, I, I can't, I can't, I'm going to tell you what my hunch is. And I can't say that this is empirically true, but this is my hunch. That the, the first time a new believer or somebody in your church hears, uh, you know, a, a rounded uh, presentation on God's plan for money management, when they first hear about God's plan for generosity in their lives, uh, you know, I know there's various 
theological bents that people have where they come to whether they teach tithing or not. I do believe in teaching tithing as the starting place for our giving, giving but wherever you're at on that. Uh, uh, here's my hunch. And again, I can't believe it show you this empirically, it's, it's my hunch, and I think it's probably accurate. The first time somebody hears that kind of teaching, I think in their spirit they kind of go, well, that's interesting. Maybe I'll consider doing that someday. And then the second time they hear it, they say, wow, I'm starting to get convicted about that. I'm going to do that someday. And by the time about the third third round of that, I think it's about that time that the Holy Spirit really gets a hold of them and says, I'm really convicted, and I've got to make some changes in my life, and I'm going to start doing this God's way in my life. And I just have the sense that for most people, it's a two or three year journey in that, and that's why you've got to continue to teach on this subject matter. The other thing I would say about that annual teaching is that if you're going to do a series on, you know, some kind of, I'll, I'll tell you some of my ideas on some practical series, but kind of God's plan for your resources or managing your money in a way that honors God is your series has to be at least three weeks long and four is better. And what I have found over the years, like, you know, some churches pride themselves we're having our annual sermon on giving or generosity or I'm going to do a one-off sermon on that. And I have found, don't even waste your breath with the one-off sermons. You'll see very little, maybe a little incremental kind of bump in that. And I think there are several reasons for that. I think, you know, repetition gives a little more time for the Holy Spirit to work in a person's heart. I think that's part of it. Uh, Attendance patterns, given what they are these days, people attend one out of three, one out of four weekends, you know. And so you've got to uh, teach uh, repeatedly on that. So annual challenging. And, you know, to, to, to do challenging teaching on this subject matter, let me just say, maybe that's obvious that we shouldn't have to say, to be able to say it with a voice that resonates and challenge, you've got to be practicing it in your own life. Or you have to be honest about your own shortcomings in your own life in this area and say, hey, I'm on this journey with you. And uh, uh, Ron Blue, in one of his books, a Christian financial planner, uh, read this a number of years ago. There was a a Christian accountant here in Southern California who offered to do the tax preparation for any pastors uh, free of charge, just as a way to serve pastors. And so they could go to this accountant, and he would do their tax preparation for them. Sixty-six pastors took him up on that offer, and he found of the 66 only 62 were tithing. Now, uh, here's, what I, here's what I can say about it. I don't know if they felt like, you know, I'm sacrificing in other ways. God gives me a pass on this one. But here's what I know about the churches those 62 pastors serve. That pastor can't get up and speak with a voice that resonates in authenticity yeah, yeah. on this subject yeah. matter. Yeah. That pastor can't talk about the faithfulness that he's experienced in God's life uh, in his life because of God's faithfulness uh, to him. Uh, and that pastor is now under-challenging that church, and those people are being under-discipled in this area, and they're missing out in their spiritual lives, and uh, their kids are missing out in their lives, and the resources that are needed to move that 
church family forward that can happen. None of that's happening. And the, the rippling effects are just tragic. So, you know, I, I know I'm preaching to the choir on this, you know, as I look around the room, but I just want to say, if you're going to teach on this subject matter, do it from a place of authenticity. And if you're struggling in this area, people can handle that too. You can say, hey, I'm struggling like you're struggling. And, and, but, but to, you know, kind of teach one thing and practice another, yeah. it's going to bite you. Yeah. Uh, it's really going to bite you. So, so it's got to be challenging. It's got to be relevant. It's got to be applicable to their lives. Uh, I'm going to give you a couple examples of that. And, of course, the teaching has to be uh, biblically based in Scripture. So uh, I, the most two recent series that I did on this, one was called Back in the Black. And uh, kind of the idea of how, how do you get yourself back in the black financially? You're feeling overwhelmed by the financial challenges that you're in. And uh, we did three weeks in that series. It was a three-part series. And uh, the first one, I called it Back to Basics. And it was basically just a financial Ten Commandments. I said, you know, many of us grew up in homes where we didn't learn good financial management practices in the home that we grew up in. Or we haven't been exposed to God's wisdom in this area. So I'm just going to give you like... 10 basic things. And it was just simple things like, you know, uh, you know, honor God first. You know, save 10%. Don't go into dumb debt. You know, don't ruin your kids with money. Uh, you know, leave a, leave a legacy of resources after you're gone. Just and, you know, all scriptural principles. And then the what test message, uh, my friend Robert Morris allowed me to show his video of the message, what test that weekend if you've ever seen any of his teaching on that excellent message and then we just concluded you know who you're going to trust with this you're going to you're going to trust god with the area of your finances i did a series this past june that i really enjoyed doing and i just called it 100 use the 100 emoji i didn't know how to put 100 emoji on my powerpoint so it doesn't doesn't look like the 100 emoji and it was basically just a way to teach the plan uh, that i taught for many years the 10 10 80 plan honor god first with the first 10 percent you know, save 10%, get that in account that's growing and the miracle of compound interest working for you and then live on the other 80. And, and if you can practice this over years in your life, you're going to give more than you ever dreamed away to causes that uh, are close to God's heart. You're going to have a little nest egg put up for you and you're going to learn to trust God to live on the 80%. So this was the, the uh, these weren't actually my sermon titles. I kind of had cuter titles for that. But that's what I taught each week. The first week was on giving 10%. Second week was on saving 10%. And the third week was on uh, living on the rest. And then I, I touched on, you know, the whole formula every week. But, and then really focused, you know, three-fourths of the message on that particular one. Uh, that I was on. So that just gives you some ideas. And let me just say to you, if any of you go online, you want to look, you can find this on our website, eastside.com. You can see the videos. You have my full permission to use anything. I'll send you sermon manuscripts if they're helpful to you. Uh, you know, all you, you just email me. I mean, I'm on our website. You can find my email address. Uh, be glad to serve you in that way. Okay. So I want to pause there for a moment before we move on to harnessing the power of your and giving. And just any questions, comments on this subject matter of annual challenge relevant teaching from God's Word. Okay. Do you find a better time in the year to, to preach on it? Great question. Yes. Great question. So this is going to sound really odd. I'm going to tell you what has become my favorite time of the year to preach on it. And it's the month of June. 
And, and it, that sounds like an odd time to most people. And I stumbled onto this uh, in 2011, 2012. We'd done a capital campaign in 2011 for this relocation project. And it had wrapped up in November of that year. And usually I had done this kind of teaching in February of the year. And my thinking in February was always kind of get past the month of January. A lot of new people show up. But then people still need help getting their financials in order for a new year. So February. So I'd always done it in February. I thought, well, I can't do a financial management series in February when we just wrapped up a capital campaign in November. And uh, so what I did was I did it the next June just because of those dynamics. Well, the results were our summer giving just went off the charts. And, you know, I, I take a break in the summer and, and, you know, giving was up and Gene was gone and people were putting that together, you know. <laughs> and uh, so, I, so I, I like it so well, I thought, I'll do that again next year. And I have done that now uh, for, since 2011. I did this, this uh, 100 series was in June this year. The other thing I like about in June that I, uh, again, it wasn't strategic. I stumbled onto it. But, you know, June's halfway through the year. That puts year-end giving six months away from that. And so it gives me two opportunities a year to talk about generosity, but kind of through two different lenses and two different perspectives. And they're... You know, and they're balanced out that way. So, uh, but I, I don't think there's a bad time. A lot of people do series like this in the fall, or I got a friend who does it every Jan. Several friends every January they speak on this subject matter. But that's why I landed with you. Good. Any other questions on that before we move on? Yeah. Do you teach all the messages, or do you have your team do some of them as well? Uh, so, like in the 100 series, I did all of those. But in the Back in the Black series, I did one of those. So it just varies. Uh, I do think it's really important that, because it goes back to, you know, the, the lead pastor is the chief fundraising officer in the church, like we talked about at the beginning. Uh, I, I do think your voice has to be heard mm-hmm. in that, but it doesn't need to be exclusively your voice. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody else? Okay, ready to go on? Harness the power of year and give it. Uh, I was slow to understand the power of this in my uh, early years in ministry, to be honest with you. But I, I have been doing, in one fashion or another, trying to harness the power of year-end giving for over 20 years now in the in the churches uh, that I've served. And let me tell you some of the, uh, there's a number of reasons that I believe in the power of this. First of all, we all have people in our churches who have started attending or nominally attending and who've never given anything of substance outside of kind of a tip to God. And often it's a special project or need or a special awareness that prompts the first gift of substance for them, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so what I, I see that for many people, it's like the on-ramp, you know, like business talks about what's the value of a lifetime customer. You want a customer to have such a good experience the first time they buy something from you that they come back a second, a third, a fourth, and fifth, or hotel wants to repeat business. And so you, that first gift uh, is really important, and it, it could be the first gift of a lifetime of gifts in the life of your church, and it all starts with the inspiration of a special challenge. So that's one reason uh, I would do that. A second reason 
And most of us in ministry don't think in these terms, but you have a number of people in your church who don't know how well they've done financially for the year until they get to the end of the year. Uh, that often is like people who own their own businesses. Uh, it's uh, realtors who live on commissions. It's other people in sales. And so the year-end emphasis helps get on their radar, like, I've got to be serious about stewarding now that I have the picture of what my income has been this year, uh, how I do that in a way that honors God. So that's a, a reason. Then a third reason that I believe in harnessing the power of your end giving is, uh, believe it or not, and some of you are, you know, you're instead of, you, you don't think there's people like this in the world, but there are people who have been extra blessed in the world who are looking for opportunities to give at your end. Mm-hmm. I was uh, at an event uh, in Oklahoma City two weeks ago with David Green, the founder of Hobby Lobby. And one of the things I learned that day was that 64% of the giving that Christians do in the United States, 64% of what they give away is not to the local church. So you have people in your church that are giving to a lot of other causes, a lot of other opportunities. And here's what I know about all those other causes. Every single one of those organizations that they give to are doing year-end appeals to them. They're they're asking for their help. Oh, and many good things. I'm not trying to to demean anything. All I'm saying is you need a reason to be on their radar. You need a reason for them to say, hey, as we're thinking about doing some additional giving in the year end, uh, wow, I didn't even know our church had this opportunity or this need or this challenge or whatever it is. You're giving them a reason to be on their radar. And if you don't, you know, that money may go to the United Way or World Vision or uh, a good Christian school or who, who knows what it could go to. So those are reasons that, that I'm like a, a big fan of doing some kind of, of year-end giving. You say, well, what, what, is, what kind of projects do you do? It all depends on what's going on in the life of your church at the time. So uh, in some cases, when we've been in building projects and building uh, kinds of things, our year-end gifts have been going toward helping, you know, build buildings. Uh, I don't know if you've been across the plaza out here. There's a student center over there. We raised all the money to do that debt-free. It was about a $4 million project to do that uh, through a couple year-end giving emphasis in order to do that. So we we had the uh, money in the bank for that. We've done uh, global compassion initiatives through year-end giving where we're giving away to build schools and churches in Kenya where we're doing uh, local compassion projects Uh, and and there's been a few times where we're we're just saying we just want to fuel our vision you know we have a vision as a church and and it's really just kind of giving to the general fund but boy if we could you know see this goal move ahead uh, we could do we could do that so it's all kinds of different things you just have to figure out what's the right thing for our church right now given the challenges uh, uh, that we're facing in that. So um, I start every, the, the, about either the weekend before or the weekend after Thanksgiving every year. Here's how my messaging starts toward year in giving. I'll say, hey, you know, everybody, it's hard to believe we've only got six months left in this calendar year. Can you believe, you know, where did it go? And, and then I'll say, 
I want to challenge all of you who follow Jesus, all of you who love him, love the church, to do something my wife Barbara and I do every year at the end of the year in these final weeks. The first thing we do is we ask ourselves and kind of pray to God, God, have we fully honored you this year in a way that's commensurate with your blessings in our lives? Have we fully honored you? And, uh, you know, I mean, like I honor God beyond the tithe all year long with my salary and stuff that I receive, but I get to the end of the year a lot of times and I find out I've had extra income I haven't fully honored God this year through. For me, you know, it can be speaking or consulting and uh, some investment income and things like that. And so we have to evaluate every year. And so that, I just challenge, have we fully honored God? And, and I'll just say, you know, with those of you who follow Jesus, you, you know what his word teaches about tithing and honoring him. And we got six weeks, you know, to get this right between now and the end of the year. And so that the first thing I'm trying to do is to just get them, have I honored God with the tithe throughout the year? That, that's all I'm trying to do. And if you, did, if you did nothing more than that the last six weeks of the year, That'd be a really significant thing. Okay, you could stop right there. Right. Then the second thing that I do, depending on what our year in challenge is, uh, is I'll say, now if you have fully honored God this year, I want to challenge you to pray another prayer that Barbara and I pray at the end of every year. And we just ask, Holy Spirit, is there anything more you want us to do? Is there anything more that you want us to do with what you've blessed us with? And he said, you know, just listen to God. He may tell you no, he may say you're good, or he may challenge you to do something and if the Holy Spirit challenges you to do something more let me tell you about an opportunity that you might want to consider blessing the end of this year and, and then I'll roll out uh, that challenge right. to those folks and so it, it's really no more complex than that and and and, uh, and I it's funny because uh, you know you got six weeks there between now there and the end of the year and it feels like a broken record to repeat that every week. Yeah. It needs to be repeated every week. We have, you know, uh, four campuses now, and so I kind of anchored the, our broadcast campus here in Anaheim, but I have all of our campus pastors at the other three sites. Uh, the three of them do that same messaging every week. And last year, I just kept going after them, you know, say, don't you got you got to do it this week again. You got to do it this week again. And I know what they were feeling like was like. Man, it just sounds like a broken record on that. And uh, but you know you got to hit different people and different constituencies and different times. And when they each saw the results of the year in giving on their campuses, I'm telling you, they became believers because every one of them saw extraordinary results from the December giving. And, and it, I think it was just that the way God used that consistent reminder to kind of plant Holy Spirit planted some seeds uh, in in the lives. Uh, of those people. Okay, any questions on this now? Because I want to spend probably the bulk of our time. Let me go back here and I'll come up here. What, what all layers of messaging do you do? Like a letter to the congregation, speaking from the pulpit, what, in the bulletin, where, where would those yeah. be? So what I've done is, um, it depends on how big the challenge is that determines that. So, um, you know, one of the things I didn't realize in my early years in ministry was that you have different kind of donor groups in your church. And I used to do kind of a one-size-fits-all, you know, send the letter to everybody and we think we're good or send that. And then what you realize over time, and this is an oversimplification, but you've got a small group of people. Like if you think of it like a, like a pyramid, 
you've got a, a smaller group of people in your church who do about one third of your giving, and then you've got a, a kind of a the committed core. Again, this this may only be twenty to thirty percent of your church that do a third of your giving, and then you kind of have the everybody else crowd that does a third of the giving. So this is this is a small percentage. This might be you know five percent of the church. This might be twenty percent of the church, and this might be seventy five percent. And again, I'm just using those kind of terms broadly, uh, so you kind of get the idea. So depending on the size of the challenge, you have to think about what's the messaging to those different groups. So uh, if, if, if it's, you know, a, a nominal kind of challenge, you might do the kind of communication you would do to the everybody crowd. You, talk, you do an announcement in church, you have some social media or email or, or something that, and you think, hey, that's good, you know, it's not that big. But uh, let me give you an example. So when I was in Las Vegas, we had one year. The biggest year-end challenge that I've ever done was we needed to raise a million and a half dollars through our... I mean, that's a, that's a staggering amount to raise. And the reason... We, we had a good reason we needed to raise a million and a half dollars was the community that we lived in, uh, Henderson, Nevada, which is just outside of Las Vegas, is, was requiring us to build a, an additional bridge and access roads to our property and we were required to do it. It wasn't a matter of, you know, uh, you know, oh, we yeah, we don't really want to do that. Uh, we don't need that extra road. No, we were required to do that. And so I messaged to three different groups here for that. So I'm going to get in in a moment talking about uh, people with the gift of giving. But I had a group of uh, donors in Las Vegas who. Um, uh, you know, this would, would represent probably like the top 50 givers in our church. I, I did a dinner with them. I did some one-on-one conversations with them uh, in, in communicating the vision for that. For the everybody else crowd, we had a big Wednesday night service in those days, two Wednesday nights in a row. How fancy is this? I had a dinner event called Box Dinner with Gene. <laughs> and we had about seven or 800 folks come to box dinner with Gene, and I stood at the door and greeted every one of them when they arrived and shook every one of their hands when they left, and I cast the vision for why we needed to do uh, the year-end offering. And then with the everybody else crowd, I just did, you know, in our services and through our normal channels of communication. So it was three different kinds of communications to three different groups, if that makes sense. Okay. Any other questions? On you had a question. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was going to ask, um, how does your flow of service go when you kind of throw that in at the end of the year? Like, mm-hmm. do you have a giving spot in every service, or are those two times a year like the only time you talk about? Yeah. Giving? No. We, uh, every week we we talk about. It. I'll tell you how we kind of handle it. So when we're kind of in an announcement segment mm-hmm. of our service each week. Uh, who's ever hosting the service that week will kind of say something along these lines. You know, every week uh, here at Eastside, those of us who call Eastside home, take some time to worship God with our tithes and offerings. Seventy percent of us, or the majority of us, do our giving electronically these days, so we don't even pass buckets at Eastside anymore. And so, you know, and we do it through a safe, secure, simple app. We use the PushPay app at Eastside. 
or people do it through eastside.com. But if you brought your giving with you today, there's a box, and, and you'll see them if you look around our building. There's a box at every exit. It's a black box, and it says, your generosity is changing lives. And so then we throw a picture of that box up on the screen. They'll see the box. So if, if, you, know, if you brought your giving with you, you give the old-fashioned way, you can just put it there. And then we always go, let me tell you this week how your generosity is changing lives. So last weekend, it was, hey, we've all watched the images this week of Hurricane Florence in North Carolina, and, and we started showing pictures of some of the floods and devastation. And uh, we've been in contact with a partner church back there who's got boots on the ground, asked them how we could help them. And they've got people to deploy, but they needed resources. So because of your generosity... We sent them a check this week for $15,000 to help them in there. You know, the place breaks out. and It's an applause moment every week when you just tell stories. A few weeks ago, it was, hey, we just held a graduation for, can't remember, Larry, was it 15 or 20 girls came out of sex trafficking, and we're helping them. And we held an event right in our auditorium for them, their friends and their family, and the efforts were taken to bring them out of sex trafficking. Your generosity is changing lives. And so that's great. So we tell those moments every week. So the year in giving would just happen in that segment okay. that I've just described in the context of that. Yep. Yep. Is your request at the beginning of service or at the end? Uh, it's in the middle. <laughs> wow, you had three options. The typical uh, uh, rhythm of our service is we start with a significant time of worship, and then we go into the announcements before the message, and it's in that segment there. Anything else? Yep. So with the percentage of your annual budget that you guys would typically um, see come in through the end of the year offering, how does that? How has that fluctuated over time? Like, what would you say as a general? Is it like ten percent of your annual budget above and beyond? Uh, it wouldn't be ten percent that's going to the annual. Typically, like like this. I mean, we raised that million and a half that year, but that's an extraordinary amount. You know, that's kind of you have to treat it like a. That's not going to be the normal pattern for it. Was, it was an extraordinary need, an extraordinary amount. I would say. I, like I would be thrilled generally if we saw an additional giving of two to three weeks of your what's a normal giving week for you. So like if your weekly need was ten thousand dollars, if you had a twenty or thirty thousand dollar year in offering, you know that would seem like a a, a good win. Yeah. How about the years when you're in a capital campaign? I'm assuming that you're not doing this. You're, you're doing your year and we're, we're doing year and giving to the capital campaign. So what, what we've looked at that is the way to bring new people on board to the capital campaign and to inspire people to honor their commitments that they've already made. And, and both of those things are important when you're in a two or three year campaign yeah. uh, to, keep, to keep those things going. And so uh, it, it's interesting. When uh, we had our initial campaign to uh, raise funds for this project, uh, it was a three-year initiative. We raised uh, $8 million in that, and, and before the three years was over, we raised an additional $4 million uh, to the eight because of that annual emphasis and keeping that pot stirred and inviting new people on board as the church was growing, et cetera. Yep. So do the annual emphasis you're giving, do you make that a stationary one, one-time moment in a service, or are you just highlighting it to say, bring it any weekend? 
according yeah. to before the interview. Typically, we're just we're saying bring it uh, before interview. Yeah, and then often what we'll do is when the first Sunday in January hits, we'll say, hey, many of you wonder how we did in year end. We just want you to know we're going to keep yeah. the year end fund open one more month. And uh, and they can get through the end of January. I'm glad you brought that up because a lot of again a lot of people don't know exactly. And there's a lot of people who get bonus and stuff in January. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Good. And in Pushpig, do you have an actual year end fund, or they give to just general? Yeah, it, there'll be some way that it's designated okay. if it's an over and above thing, unless it, okay. unless we are just doing general that year. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, that's well. What happened there? I tried to fix the, it on the computer, but it's not. It's not on my computer. It's, it's coming from some someplace else, right? I don't know. You can probably grab it and drag it off. It's not. No, it's not here. It, it's it's coming from someplace else, not from uh, me. So anyway, we do. It's okay. We're smarter than that. We can move on. Okay. So I want to talk about what that says is building a volunteer team for those who have uh, the gift of giving. And, you know, Romans 12 talks about how we have different gifts according to the grace given us. And we all know, you know, there's people in your church who have shepherding gifts and people have teaching gifts and people have encouraging gifts and mercy gifts and all all these different gifts that uh, people have within the body of Christ. And then there it also talks about those who have uh, the gift of giving. And... We decided to start a team that would actually, a volunteer team, that would actually uh, help people who have that gift find each other and discover opportunities that they could use their gift to accelerate the vision uh, of, our, of our church. And so I'm going to throw this up here. Yeah, you can't even read that. Boy, that's really frustrating. That's un- unfortunate. I wonder where in the world that's coming from. Yeah. So anyway, I'm going to read what's on there. Uh, this is our purpose statement. We call we call this ministry at Eastside, and this is going to be confusing for those of you who are in ARC world, and Dream Team always talks about volunteers. That's not the term we use for volunteers at Eastside. We call this ministry our Dream Team. And so uh, the Dream Team is an Eastside changemaker team for those who are called and gifted to help build God's, God's kingdom through Eastside with the gift of giving. And we talk about the gift of giving by being those who have the ability and uh, desire to give beyond the level of the tithe. That, you know, tithing is the starting point for all of us. That we wouldn't consider that the gift of giving, but people who give uh, beyond that level, at the level of the tithe. Let me give you a little historical context uh, for, for this. One of the things that was frustrating to me for many years in ministry is how do you encourage and bless and thank people who have the gift of giving because in the body of Christ, you know, the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. We know what the, uh, the Bible teaches in James about showing preference to the influence. We don't, we don't want to be guilty of that. And, uh, and so for a long time, I did nothing to encourage people who had the gift of giving because I didn't want to come across as somebody who's showing favoritism or uh, a bent but toward certain people. But I was also frustrated, like, well, if somebody sings a great song, you go to them and say, wow, God used you when you were leading us in that worship song, or when somebody leads a great team, man, God's given you the ability to lead, or you encourage them, and yet nobody was encouraging those with the gift of giving, and when you think about it, those who have that gift, they don't get encouragement anywhere. 
generally. Their, their accountant doesn't encourage them in this area. I guarantee you their kids don't encourage them in this area. And any of their peers think they're crazy to do what they're doing. So nobody's encouraging them. And so finally it hit me one day, and this was over 15 years ago when I was serving in Las Vegas, is I don't encourage any other gift in the body of Christ perfectly. So for instance, what I mean, like, I don't know every person in our church here who has the gift of teaching. I just encourage those who I know have the gift of teaching. I don't encourage every person who has mercy gifts. I just encourage those who use their mercy gifts. And so I thought, so why am I letting that? I was like, well, I don't know who all the people are in the body of Christ who have the gift of giving. We know the story of the widow's mind who gave, you know, two coins and, you know, she gave everything that she had. And I was letting the fact that I didn't know everybody who had the gift of giving stop me from encouraging anybody that I knew who had the gift of giving, if that makes sense. So one year we were coming in, this was around like 1998, probably about 20 years ago now. I think it was the end of the year, Christmas, and I thought, well, the heck with it. I'm just going to, I'm going to try something. And so I invited uh, about 50 couples to our house on a Sunday afternoon for like a Christmas dessert. It was like early in December. And we had coffees and desserts. And uh, these are all people who had really blessed our church financially. And it was kind of awkward at first, to be honest with you. Most of them didn't know each other. And they just kind of show up and like, why am I at Gene's house? And this isn't normal on a Sunday afternoon. So all of that felt awkward. Until we sat down in our family room and we're all in a circle. And I said, uh, I know you're probably all wondering what you're doing here today. And you know, they're like, yeah, what, what's this about? And I said, uh, and I just told them the story of what I just told you about how I've been frustrated over the years. How do I encourage those who have the gift of giving? And I said, um, I said, I don't know everybody in our church who has the gift of giving, but I do know all of you have the gift of giving. And I said, I'm just, I'm just here for one reason today. I just want to say thank you. I want to say thank you for blessing our church. And I celebrated some of the things God had done in our church that year. And I said, you know, it takes the leaders to do this, and it takes the those with the gift of uh, serving to do this, and mercy gifts, and encourage. it takes all these people, but we couldn't do what we're doing without you using your gift. Because yeah. so many times when you talk to these people, they feel like they're not doing anything significant for the church. So, you know, all I can do is write checks. All you can do is write checks. Romans 12 says that's a spiritual gift that you can bring to the church. Go make as much money as you can during the week and write checks for the, for the kingdom of God. So, so I'm sharing that. And one of the guys raises his hand. His name's Bill. He goes, can I say something, Gene? I said, sure. And he goes, uh, he goes, you know, God's really blessed me. And he had, this guy had two insurance agencies, one in Las Vegas, one in Albuquerque. He'd been very successful. He goes, God's really blessed me. And he said, uh, I've given beyond the tithe to the churches that we've been a part of for over 20 years. Wow. And he said, this is the first time anybody's ever said that. Wow. 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 And, he, and then he started to cry. And he, he said, because I could be doing so much more for the kingdom of God than I'm wow. doing. God's blessed me. Well, when he said that, the temperature goes up right, right, yeah. right there. You know, you talk about iron sharpening iron. Yeah. Can we borrow yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it was amazing because 
then everybody in the room says, well, I could do more too. I, I mean, you could just feel it in the room. Yeah. So I started getting together with that group for the next few years, twice a year. I'd usually do something toward year end, and I'd do something uh, in the summer. And so, for instance, we talked about this million and a half dollars we had to raise that year to build roads and bridges. Uh, just before I went on my summer break that year, I did a little continental breakfast between Sunday morning services. It, it, was, it was like 20 minutes long. And I said, hey, everybody, you know, they all, now they all kind of know each other a little bit. They look forward to being together. You know, that, that's magic in and of itself. Yeah. And uh, I said, uh, hey, before I leave on my summer break, I just wanted to celebrate what God's done this ministry season. I told them about, you know, all the things that had happened. And I said, then I said, uh, hey, I just want to put on your radar. I'm not asking for any gifts right now. I just want you to know at the end of the year, we're going to have to raise a million and a half dollars. And here's why. And I, and I explained it. And I said, well, you know, this fall I'll be back in touch and we'll cast a little more information and vision about it. All I'm asking you to do it is just pray about it right now. Before I left that little breakfast that day, I had checks in my pocket for over $300,000. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it, again, it was just because these people knew that I wasn't going to ask if we didn't have a real need because, you know, we got together twice a year and most of the time it was just to say thank you. So now when I raise that we got a need, they, they know it's real. And, uh, and, you know, and they had built up trust over time on that. So that's all a little bit of the genesis for trying to understand uh, what we've done at uh, Eastside in the last year. And that's, uh, we, we started this dream team uh, simply for the purpose of uh, creating a volunteer team where people could exercise the gift uh, of giving. And I'm going to just go back on that for a minute. So um, it, it's, it's a really simple thing, and all we've done is we adopted our language from Church of the Highlands, what they call their legacy team. Anybody right. familiar with that? Yeah. yeah. So we just, we just adopted that model, and here's how it began for us. Last December... I uh, invited a group of our folks to a breakfast uh, the first Sunday of December last year. And I told them we were going to start a new, we call our volunteer change makers, a new change maker ministry team for those who had the gift of giving and wanted to be informed about opportunities at uh, Eastside. I announced publicly in our services that we were doing that so that it didn't have any kind of an exclusive feel to it. Oh, that's just for the exclusive crowd or anything like that. Because the minute you say it's for those with the gift of giving, 98% self-select out. I can guarantee you right there. So, so this is a very uh, certain kind of group of people. And so they came that day. I shared with them my vision for the dream team. And I think about what, Larry, about 80 jumped on board, 85 uh, after that first gathering. And, uh, and, we, and we just ran the playbook that Church of the Highlands lands. Uh, Church of the Highlands gives their dream team lane reports three times a year. Mm -hmm. And lane reports are where you just determine what are the lanes of our vision that we want to move forward. So for us, we had a projects lane for building and new campuses. We had a next-gen lane for uh, inspiring our next generation of uh, students and leaders around here. We have a local compassion lane and a global compassion lane. These are just reflective of who we are. You just got to figure out what your vision as a church to determine uh, your your lanes. And uh, so I gave them a sample lane report that day so they would understand what these lane reports are. And the beauty of this dream team is you never ask for money. 
you just let them see the lane reports and just let them know, you know, here's opportunity, here's vision that we have, and we'll move as fast or as far as we can on these opportunities as God provides the resources. So, you know, we're, we're content to just wait. So I gave them a sample lane report that day. I didn't ask them for any money. I guarantee you. And there was no challenge like, hey, if we could do this before year end, which was counterintuitive me, to me, who, who's the year end guy, right? Mm-hmm. But I just wanted to give them the lane report, start this in that way. And by the end of December, just as a result of that simple lane report, we saw over $300,000 given to some of those projects on the lane report. In February, we sent out our first official lane report. And we had just uh, built a new campus in Bellflower, uh, California, which is just uh, east, it's uh, west of here towards Los Angeles, about 19 miles. And uh, we had spent a million dollars more than we intended to on that campus. And uh, so we put that in the lane report. You know, we've had an overage here. And then we said... uh, the, the implication of that is that puts us a million dollars behind on preparing for our next campus that we believe God wants us to start. So we just send out those reports, and along with local and global compassion things and next-gen things. And so in March, one of our dream teamers calls me and says, hey, can I meet you at Starbucks one day? So we go over and have iced tea together. And he said, you know, I was reading the lane report. My wife and I were praying about it. Saw about the overage and bellflower, how that puts us behind for our next campus. And he goes, he goes, I wonder, uh, he goes, if you would be open if my wife and I did a $1 million challenge gift to the rest of the dream team. And he said, we'll match dollar for dollar, every dollar, up to a $1 million dollars. Uh, through the remainder of this year. And he said, if, if, if we did that, we'd raise $2 million, we'd cover the deficit on Bellflower, and we'd have a million dollars for our next team. Wow. And I said, well, we've never done that before, but I don't see a problem with that. <laughs> and I ran it by some of our other leaders. They didn't see a problem with that. So in April, we sent out an email to our dream team, just said, hey, here's what one of your fellow dream team members has done. In August... All the other members of the Dream Team had given over a million dollars at that time. He's given, he and his wife have given the other million dollar gift. So just with that, Holy Spirit, I never asked him for money. I didn't come up with the idea for a matching gift. God did that in his heart. They just had to know about the vision. And then God moved in their heart and did it. And so, uh, you know, here we are nine months into our Dream Team, maybe almost ten months. And uh, we've seen an additional you know, two and a half million dollar impact wow. Uh, wow. <laughs> because of just giving these people an avenue. So we're getting ready. Uh, by the way, this is Larry Wainer. Larry, stand up so people can see us. Because if you want to know about our dream team, this is the guy leading it. And uh, Larry leads our dream team. And uh, uh, he's just getting ready to send out. We'll send out lane reports again in the next week or two. Uh, for our folks, and, and there'll be another one in January. It'll be strategic now, like around the 1st of October, for them to get it, because that'll help seed their thinking as they're thinking about their year in giving and, and what they uh, want to do. I had uh, I'd been in Las Vegas for seven years before I had ever asked, if, if challenged anybody with a gift. And uh, there was a guy in our church who I knew... Uh, have the gift of giving. And believe me, this is not the guy 
that you would want serving on your children's ministry team. <laughs> this is not the guy that you would be comfortable putting up to pray in church, you know, because you're going to probably get a few four-letter words as he's praying. It's just, you know, just who he was. But this guy had the ability to make money. And uh, we were preparing for a major relocation, and I knew we were going to need some leadership gifts, so I went over to his house one day, or I called him, I said, hey, could I take you out to dinner, you and your wife out to dinner, and I got someone I want to talk to you about, and he said, oh, just come over to our house, we'd love to have you, and I thought, oh, better yet, we'll be on their turf, they'll be comfortable, so I go over to their house for dinner one night, and, and I started kind of casting a vision for our relocation, you know, being a business guy, his first question was, how are you going to pay for it? And I said, well, I'm glad you asked. And I said, uh, you know, we plan to sell our existing facility. We're going to do a capital campaign in the church. We hope to raise some money. But I said, uh, the first thing, though, is we're hoping a few families would do some leadership gifts just to help us get started. And I really, at this point, had no idea of this guy's capacity. I just sensed there was some capacity there. And so I kind of gulped, and I said, uh, I'd like to ask you to prayerfully consider a gift between... 50000 and a million dollars towards this. And without missing a beat, he goes, well, you can count us for a million. What? And after I picked myself up off the floor and crawled back onto the chair, I thought, did I just hear what I think I, I heard? I thought, I didn't ask for two million. You <laughs> and uh, I remember that night, this is a true story, right? I'm in front of his house. He's got this circular driveway and I'm uh, getting in my Ford and uh, thanking him, you know, for dinner, thanking them for the great, you know, conversation, and, you know, just thanking him like a hundred times, and finally, like, last time I get in, I go, well, thanks a million, and he goes, you mean that literally? And I thought, oh, I can't believe I just said that. True story. So, that guy right there, uh, in the course of, uh, have you ever been to Central Christian Church in Las Vegas? So, that building they're in, is what we built when I was there, and that relocation happened, that guy didn't just give a million, but in addition to that, over the next few years, he gave a total of $5 million for that project. And while we were in construction and we were short some cash flow for a while, he loaned to the church for three years interest-free another $3 million. Wow. And you talk about a blessing broker. And uh, he died this last January. And I just, you know, started thinking... How great his rewards in heaven were. Yeah. What yeah. he celebrated. Yeah. Yeah. Because of the kingdom things that he advanced. Yeah. 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 Um, tens of thousands of lives that have been touched because of him, literally. Yeah. Uh, because of him. So uh, so that's what we do. We do uh, two events a year with our dream team. It's real simple. We do a year end event. We did a, a Friday night dinner in, uh, was it around 1st of June or so? And then I also do. Uh, a regular dinner with uh, the dream team in smaller groups. So like uh, two weeks ago Saturday, right after our Saturday night service, 16 of them joined me in a little office I have backstage and, and we just had a little dinner and it's not really even vision or anything like that. It's just, I'm glad you're here. Let's all tell a story about what God's doing in our life or what the church means to you. And it's a tear fest every time. Yeah. It's just one of the most moving things. So cool. And they're just there for an hour and they walk out more in love with God, more in love with their church, more uh, belief in the vision. And uh, let me just quickly, because man, time's gotten ahead of us, but let me just tell you a few other quick ideas uh, for this area. Uh, Whenever somebody makes a first-time recorded gift to Eastside, they get a thank you note from me. And uh, just to say, you know, you may have given other ways anonymously in the past or ways we don't have record of, but this is the first recorded gift we have. Thank it's not you. A, a certain amount? 
No, any insights get that's recorded okay. that we know. Yep. You know, it came from Joe. It came from Sue. You know, a recorded gift. So that that's one thing, because when you think about it, uh, what's the most important gift in a lifetime of gifts? It could be that first gift that gets affirmed and encouraged. Right. Right. Say, right. You know, so 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 that's important. Another thing that we do is we send out quarterly giving statements, and uh, in addition to the giving statement that they get. They always get something like this. There's some of these out on your, your chairs. This, this is what goes into quarterly giving statements. So it's meant to be a piece that communicates vision, communicates what God's doing, helps them celebrate more than just an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper with some numbers on it, yeah. you know, with, with what they've given in that last quarter. So that, that's a tool that we use. And then another one is uh, uh, I do a personal thank you note for any significant gifts. Now, you have to determine what that threshold is for, for you. But for me, I get notified of any gifts in our church of $5,000 or more. And I have a few of those every week. And uh, so I, I send a note to them. And if, and if some, like if I get a gift of, you know, somebody does, you know, 40, 60, 80, $100,000 gift, if that comes along. Not only will I send them a note, but I'll also say in the note, hey, if uh, you have no idea how much this gift means at this time, and if you'd ever like to know more about really how significant it is, I'd love to take you to dinner sometime and tell you about it. About half the people take you up on that, and about half the people are like, I don't need a dinner. I, you know, I just love doing what I'm doing. But it gives them that opportunity. Yeah, yeah. question. Um, for the significant gifts, is that people that tithe a significant amount or just like above and beyond? For me, we, we do those because of a dollar amount. Okay. So we, I, we don't know if really at the end of the day who's tithing and who's right. not because we don't know their income. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we're just trying to inspire people who are showing signs of unusual generosity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then uh, one other thing that we do, uh, these occasional dinners to bless and thank, which I, which I just told you about. Okay, we're out of time. I know we're out of time. Um, but why, why, why don't we do this? I'll just stay up here. Yep. And if you have questions and stuff, you can bring them. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.